Hello and welcome to the latest episode in our Herbert Smith Three Hills Public M&A podcast series. Um, my name is Antonia Kirkby and I'm joined today by Robert Moore, one of our public M&A partners. Today we're just going to talk about some of the trends we're seeing in public M&A transactions in the UK at the moment, some of the themes we're seeing appearing on various deals, and then we're going to look briefly at some of the regulatory changes that are coming through. Bob, shall we start with activity levels generally? So the M&A market slowed dramatically in the second half of last year, not just public M&A, but all, all M&A. Um, but that was off the back of an exceptionally high level of activity in the first half of 2022 and 2021, in fact, as well. So what is 2023 looking like so far? Thanks, Antonia. Yeah, that's right. Certainly Q, Q4 of 2022 saw, saw the most notable um, decline in activity, about 50% the levels um, seen in 2021 in, in comparison of rule 2.7 firm offer announcements made. And that slowdown was unsurprising given fluctuating valuations, inflation, um, and general uncertainty around the ongoing energy crisis. There are, however, signs after a pretty slow start to 2023 that things are beginning to pick up. We've already seen the first offer valued at over a billion pounds, the offer for Cape Technologies. And there is increasing optimism that the activity has started and will continue to pick up, as reflected in the recent tagging of a day on which two firm offers were announced as um, Takeover Thursday. In terms of you know overall drop in activity, 2022 also saw a drop in public to private tran- transactions. Private equity bidders as we know, are typically transactions and their deals are typically highly leveraged. And so those have been affected by the rise in interest rates. However, we are still seeing P2Ps getting done, but we are seeing less leverage on those deals. So 46% of firm offers this year involved equity financing to fund the consideration, the cash consideration. That is basically about double the trend from the, the previous um, two years, and only about 18% of firm offers are being debt financed, which again is roughly about half what we saw in 2022-2021. Also, and not surprisingly, because of the rise in interest rates, we're seeing more offers, including some form of paper consideration and indeed even um, some contingent value rights being offered as consideration a way, as you know, of bridging value expectations. The couple of transactions that we've seen CVRs recently, it, one included the, the Wallovers um, announcing as part of its possible offer for an unbound group of CVR, which would have given them the right to receive net proceeds if unbound's business interruption insurance claim relating to the pandemic paid out, and then a, a fiendishly complicated CBR on practice offer for hurricane energy linked to future net, net revenues. And we are also, and again, not surprisingly, at times like this, seeing more formal sale processes. You often see the more, more of these in, in, in slightly more difficult economic times. Formal sale processes, a reminder being the, the takeover code and the, the panels. Uh, process to try and mimic private sale auctions and that are often used by companies in economic distress to give them 
a bit more breathing room, there's a bit, bit of leeway from some of the takeover code rules around put up and shut up regimes and naming potential off, off, offerors. As well as that, though, and there's always a reminder for those who say that FSPs are purely the refuge of a distressed seller. We have seen them uh, launched by companies in a relatively comparatively strong positions as, as well, often uh, encouraged by shareholders. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the FSPs have definitely been more of them in the past year or so. Um, and as you say, a sort of split between companies in distress uh, like Made.com or companies where they're driven by shareholders. And, and that brings us on to the role of shareholders generally, which I know is something we've covered off in previous podcasts and we come back to time and again. But but it's just simply not going away that, that shareholders are increasingly improved in the outcome of M&A deals, public M&A deals in particular. Um, and I think target boards can't any longer just assume that if they recommend a deal that it will go through. But should we, should we talk a bit more about what shareholders have been doing on, on M&A and the, some of the examples that we've seen? Yeah, so we've continued to see shareholders play an influential role on M&A. And the role that they play typically falls into three categories. The first being encouraging. M&A. So here, good examples recently, Hurricane Energy and Countryside. In the Hurricane Energy deal, uh, a shareholder, Crystal Amber Fund, which, which has a stake of around just under 30%, said it wanted to monetize its shareholding in the company, which led to the Hurricane Board launching a, a formal sale process. The And that subsequently resulted in Brax announcing a, a firm offer with that, with that CBR that I mentioned. In terms of com- countryside, countryside announced an FSP in, in June of last year, saying that the board had received feedback from a number of significant shareholders regarding the future of the company, and that they believed that the company would be in a better position to capitalise on the opportunities ahead as a privately owned company, or as part of a larger business, and that ultimately resulted in offers being sought for the company and a successful bid from history. In terms of the other two trends, I think influencing M&A is, is, is one. So the bid for Aviva by Schneider, where Schneider already owned, you know, almost 60 percent of Aviva. That was recommended. Schneider subsequently increased its, its offer by 4 percent and declared it to be the final price. Potentially um, an example of bumper charge, as we've discussed previously whereby major shareholders um, saying that they would vote against the scheme unless unless the offer price was increased. Another example I, it would be the Wentworth Resources bid from um, Morell and Prom, where Fidelity had almost 12% stake in Wentworth, said it intended to vote against the scheme. Uh, the bidder actually there did not increase its final offer, yet the scheme was still approved, although by... 75.26%, which I think is the closest any scheme has, has ever gone to the wire and managed to get managed to get through. And then in terms of threatening MA, Tullo um, is probably the most interesting of these recently. So so the Tullo's off Capricorn faced opposition by Capricorn shareholders leading the Capricorn board to withdraw its recommendation and announce a new proposed combination with new med energy. That then faced opposition by shareholders to the extent that uh, Capricorn shareholder 
Palestine Capital requisitioned um, a meeting to change Capricorn's board of directors. At that meeting, the directors were replaced and the second attempted combination, that with New Med, was terminated as well. Yeah, that that was a really interesting transaction, wasn't it? And um, the, the the extent to which the shareholder went to actually requisitioning the, the meeting to change the board is something I haven't seen for a while, if ever, come to think of it. And there have been other, you know, we've, you've given us a couple of examples, but there have definitely been others as well where we've seen schemes voted down in the past year or so. And I remember you and I doing a podcast, what, two or three years ago when I think it was Aspire Ramsey bid was voted down. And we did a specific podcast on that saying how unusual it was. And, and actually, we've seen that various times in the past few years. So um, definitely a change in, in um, trends there. So I think if we move off from sort of trends and themes on, on public M&A transactions. Should we move now on to the um, takeover code changes that we've seen recently? I know there have been various consultations and responses published. So do you want to just run us through those, please? Yeah, sure. So I guess start with with um, changes to the presumptions on acting in concert under the code. Um, these came into force in, in, in February and they centre on the panel's approach to group of companies and investment entities. While many of the changes codify the panel's existing practice, there are some areas where its approach has changed. And these include the threshold at which entities within the group presumed to be acting in concert has been raised from 20% to 30%. And the panel will look at both voting rights and equity interests, economic rights. And there is guidance on how these should be calculated and, and, and when interest needs to be aggregated. Other code changes in force this week. So, these include uh, amendments to the offer timetable in the competitive situation. And, and here in the new rules, the panel has clarified how the offer timetable applies in certain competitive situations where one of the bids is proceeding by scheme and official authorizations or regulatory clearances are required by one, both of the bidders. And then the other miscellaneous code amendments um, have come in. Uh, principally, the panel will now have greater flexibility to grant derogation or waiver from the code in exceptional circumstances, for example, to facilitate a rescue of a company which is in serious financial difficulty. And some of you may remember uh, we covered this when the um, panel in its annual report a few years ago referred to the flexibility of both the panel and the code as demonstrated on the Flybe takeover. And then so those changes in, uh, in force this week, probably worth flagging the latest consultation paper, which is some frustrating action. Overall, the panel has says it thinks the Rule 21.1 operates satisfactorily, and so does not propose fundamental amendments to it, to that rule. However, um, it is proposing to give companies more flexibility for actions which are either in the ordinary course of business for the particular company, such as buying or selling assets or or are not material. Yeah, I think I think those proposals sound quite sensible to me from what I've looked at them. Um, and I think it's just worth saying, you know, we have seen a, quite a few changes to the code in the past couple of years, starting with all the, the consultation changes around conditions to an offer and the offer timetable and the introduction of acceleration statements, the acting in concert stuff, again, fairly significant Sort of rule changes for people to get to grips with, albeit that's largely codifying what what was 
the panel's executives practice and it's helpful to have it written out but um you know with this latest paper on frustrating action maybe we'll see a bit of a pause from the panel then in um, terms of pushing change through so while all these new regimes bed down um, but still plenty going on, obviously. So thank you very much, Bob, for joining me today and for talking us through these issues. And thank you too to our listeners. We'd really welcome any feedback you have on our podcast and any areas you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. But otherwise, we look forward to you joining us on our next one. Thank you and goodbye.